Hi, and welcome to the Miseducation of the SLP. I am Ingrid, and I am one of your hosts. And I am your Ashanti, your other host. <laughs> and welcome to our 24th episode. Airhorn. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> oh, shoot. Ashanti picked it up. <laughs> Yes, we are on the 24th episode. We will be actually winding down. Um, The 25th episode will be the end of season one. We will be returning for season two with a little bit of a revamp because I, as you guys are probably, you know, noticing, Ayala is not going to be circulating back to the show. And so at this point, we kind of need to take some moments to adjust, revamp, reshape, and put this back on the market in its true form with Ashanti taking the helm as the official co-host of this wonderful podcast. No pressure. I mean, <laughs> I'm pressure filled. As <laughs> I'm pushy. I'm a pushy broad. <laughs> anyway, um, on this episode... I spent some time discussing one of the most interesting spaces of miseducation in the SLP uh, educational course. And that is in the space of the deaf and hard of hearing. So I was able to talk to um, these ladies that were really just entrenched in the area of the deaf and hard of hearing. And not a lot of SLPs are familiar with this aspect of um, our discipline and what that really looks like, what that entails. A lot of us think that it looks like oral rehab because that's what our education has provided us. Um, Ashanti the other night was telling me that she remembers that our program, the course that we took was oral rehab or oral is it mm-hmm. oral? Aural. Aural rehab. And so we took that course, and only that course, when it came to what it means to be a therapist as an SLP for the deaf and hard of hearing. Um, have you had any experiences with that population, Ashanti? I actually was in, doing the coursework to become an interpreter before I started the SLP program. Mm. Yes. So I was able to experience um, almost all the coursework. I even took the, you have to pass a national test in order to get um, cleared that has to deal with laws, regulations, and just deaf culture and community. Mm-hmm. Um, I also participated in what's called Silent Weekend, which was in Tampa or Tampa, St. Saint- Petersburg, Florida, which is a full immersion the entire weekend, no talking, only signing. Mm-hmm. Like even out and about, like if you know, if you went out to, went out for the night, went out dancing, you were you were not allowed to talk. Um, so that was a really cool experience. So I, I do have a little bit of, um, I did have a little bit of experience with the deaf and hard of hearing community. We have pretty similar experiences, um, in the sense of the the length and the amount of immersion that I had with utilizing 
um, ASL and solely ASL as my form of communication. Mm-hmm. And it kind of offered me another way of um, kind of enjoying language. You know, I love to speak my native tongue, which is Haitian Creole. It's a different way of enjoying language for me Mm -hmm. than English because Haitian Creole is a lot more colorful. It speaks in an angry, disrespectful tone that actually is a compliment. It twists things in a colorful way that's very witty and interesting. Um, And I'm sure when you speak Spanish, the Puerto Riqueño version, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of things you pull out of that that you're just like, it dances a little bit differently than American English. Oh, absolutely. And, And there are certain sayings and just things that are cultural that just hit differently. There's no direct translation sometimes. Mm hmm. And so even when I'm, you know, with my family or with friends that are also um, from Puerto Rico, I'll say things and then I'll code switch into Spanish to get my point across and then right, go right back into English. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm sure you do the same. No, I'm usually in the native tongue all the way because I just okay. it's just easier for me to just exist there. The okay. code switching isn't necessary for me as much because I just like staying in the language I'm in. But... I will say for ASL, people don't normally think of it as something like that, mm-hmm. uh, a, a transition to something completely different. They think of it as just English verbal or nonverbal, nonverbal. Non- yeah, signed English. Mm-hmm. Correct. And mm-hmm. that's 0% what American Sign Language is. And the sensation or the experience of being able to communicate with just the utilization of your limbs and that's it, your facial expression and your Mm -hmm. limbs. And it's supposed to express every feeling, every thought, every consideration, the range of what that can look like and feel like and, and, and be like, that's an entirely unique culture. Yeah, very much so. It's incredibly powerful being within it when you get to use your body as your source of expression. It is a beautiful moment. It is something that a lot of people don't understand the pleasure of because they're so hindered by needing it to be verbal, to be real communication. But what do we all understand about communication, Ashanti? Isn't 70% of it nonverbal? Mm-hmm. Don't you take someone in by their tone, their inflection, their facial expression, their head turn, their blinking eyes, their body language? Don't you use all those things to interpret language? Yes. (laughs) And so how is it that American Sign Language can't be considered a whole language upon itself because it uses that 70% and it amplifies it with symbolic hand gestures that give you an entire context, an entire world, so that you can understand what that other person is meaning. Mm-hmm. No words spoken. And to, you know, to think that you can turn this into something verbal and it mean the same is just 
no, <laughs> that's not how this works. Correct. It mm-hmm. is really not the same language at all, which is what offers it another additional component of cognitive development because everyone understands the more languages you understand, the more different ways and perspectives you can see the world, which is correlated through many sciences out there. Um, the biggest are is the cognitive linguistic science where they look at the mapping of the brain in association to languages and how much it diversifies with more and more because for each language, there's a different way of expressing something. There's mm-hmm. different layers of communication to the community. There's different points of view in all of those languages. And the better you are at adopting different languages, the more ways you have magnified your brain's capacity to look at things in multitude of angles because you have to code switch. You have to move from one thing to the next. It's a beautiful science. It's magnified in a way that I'm just like, wow, okay. That's really interesting. Whether it's 100% accurate, I have no idea. But it's science that I've heard that I thought was really interesting to understand that when you when you have more to your disposal, you understand communication much more greatly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's possible if you learn something as simple as American Sign Language. Mm-hmm. You have that potential because now you're not only looking at the world with how you see things, you now have to change it to learn how to communicate it in a new way. It's so poetic. (laughs) These ladies, when they're talking about our profession, though, do not see that other SLPs talk as poetically as I do. (laughs) These ladies expressed understanding that SLPs are very very oral driven. Hmm. They are horrified by trying to adopt the perspective of the child and want to do what the parents want to do, which are usually affluent individuals that just want their children to speak despite the severity of their deafness. The fight that they have to put up with, with their employers and with the parents of their children or their students Um, to explain why they would want to do a total language therapy intervention strategy or style versus just all oral, the battle that that they both need to undergo is significant, really significant. Like no one wants to listen to them, including people within our own profession. That's really unfortunate. It's, um, well, I mean, it goes with the miseducation. Absolutely. It just goes to show and reveal just how deep some of the miseducation is. This was the point that I, like, stood on because I realized a lot of those SLPs don't know that they're saying something wrong because Mm -hmm. their education has only given them oral rehab. Mm -hmm. They haven't taken the time in their own practice to really consider whether or not oral rehab is the best because they relied on 
their education from the organization, from their college process, to tell them what was best practiced. And what's best practiced in terms of the education is actually oral rehab. There are not a lot of courses for the utilization of American Sign Language as a requisite. Only oral rehab or oral rehab is considered requisite from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. A sign is considered an elective. Right. It's an elective and within that course, at least, you know, speaking from what I remember of the course, I, it was, it was always the push of how to help the, the student or the client become a a better oral speaker. Um, But I don't know that there was a lot of time spent on the discussion of helping the family understand that they could choose to not be oral. You know, they could choose to go the other route and, and to really honor their culture as, as deaf, you know, um, people, deaf, deaf, a deaf family. Um, so maybe that's, you know, obviously I, I'm not in the coursework now, and maybe that's something that is being covered a little bit better now. I'm not sure. From what the two SLPs I spoke to said, no. Because it's not like they've been out of school for... As long as I have. (laughs) (laughs) You know. (laughs) The decade. The decade and some change. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) The, like, aged. The aged... (laughs) version of our graduation they are not that you know they indicated that it's still the same okay and I truly understand that it would probably be the same because there's no reason for them to make any differences in this space it really is a very small portion of the SLP's concern the deaf and hard of hearing in the United States of America does not take up a significant portion of society to allow that SLPs are going to go ahead and make that a high priority. Mm-hmm. SLPs that are dealing with the deaf and hard of hearing just want to make them hearing because that's what the affluent want. Right. And so everything is geared in the science to facilitate that. So if they do cater to the deaf and hard of hearing, it's in the spaces of catering to the wealthy, which usually require their children to kind of be as normal to them in their point of view as possible, which means they cannot use American Sign Language. They need to speak. And that is the end of that, Richard. Like, <laughs> that's, that's what I see in that. So our science followed it, followed suit, because it made sense. Mm-hmm. But for minorities or for disenfranchised or for patient-centered clinicians, we're all looking at that shit like, are you serious? No. I'm sorry, Muffy. We are not (laughs) going to be able to do that this evening. Is this for real? (laughs) We're going to have to make sure that Tyler has all the tools that he needs at his disposal, including 
nonverbal communication. Yes. We're going to have to talk about it, Buffy. And you're going to have to talk to your husband about that as well. When he gets off of his $6.2 billion plane. (laughs) That's really what we're going to have to do as a profession. We're going to have to get really educational in these conversations with people that are usually entitled to to one point of view. Mm -hmm. And um, I consider that these children who's grown up into becoming adults that experience oral rehab as their rehab, I wonder how many of them would say, that was the best therapy I ever received versus fuck that shit. That was terrible. (laughs) Versus they could have just left me alone and I would have been fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How many of them would have been like, that was horrible for me. I hated it. It was terrible. Felt like it was just bullshit. Like how many of those people would say that? And we really need to look at that with honesty. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, going back to educating the family and and really helping them consider all of the options available to them, we have to look at the statistics in that, what is it, 90% of children that are born deaf are born to parents that are not deaf. Mm-hmm. I hope I have that statistic correct. And so I I think that a lot of times this isn't even a consideration that these new parents, you know, let's say that, you know, the baby is identified through a, a newborn hearing screening. Um, this isn't something that they have considered or thought about because there are so many other things that they're worried about, you know, when when you're just becoming a parent or when you have an infant. Um, so again, educating the families, educating their, you know, extended family, it's, it's huge. It doesn't Mm -hmm. happen very often. And we, I guess we need to know as SLPs, what our role in that is. Well, a portion of our discipline has decided to be really centered on satisfying parents in the respect of they want to try to normalize their children to the highest degree and SLPs with their save a ho syndrome. Um, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't call it that like <laughs> superhero syndrome. When they yes. switch in with the superhero syndrome, we find that SLPs kind of move with this idea that yes, we're here to correct the situation and get them normalized. And that's really what the science has been based out of for a good portion of its history, if you really think about it. That's why SLPs are so mad at history, because that's how we've been shaped, to kind of work our way into making what was considered abnormal as close to what was normal in Mm -hmm. society. But as we've broadened in diversity and loud voices and resistance to normalization, we kind of broke that method for the speech pathologists. And so now when you look at the deaf and hard of hearing population, 
you're like, hey, guys, guess what you did wrong for all those years? And rather than SLPs immediately accepting that and saying, because we're in this new age where we're trying to understand that different things can also be equally as valuable, Mm -hmm. you're dealing with a level of concern, distress, and resistance because they don't want to tear away at what traditionally was the SLP's point of view on the deaf and hard of hearing because they feel like it's valid, it's normal to hear. And um, I mean, I, I can't even say that I am surprised at all by it because that's that's them sticking to the narrative. Um, it's the minority that makes the changes to say, no, 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 no. That's mm-hmm. not okay. That's not okay. The minor, the, the minority does, does that. It mm-hmm. really never, ever, ever comes from the majority that's saying, let's try to make things as normal as possible and fit in the box. Mm-hmm. Revolutions have always been done by the smaller minority. Right. So the deaf and hard of hearing have to put a stance to say, this is unacceptable how we are treated by speech pathologists. So that this can be something different than just oral rehab. So what would it take as far as, and, and I'm just, you know, thinking out loud. What would the, the SLP currently in school need in, in their toolbox to do better? for this community? Well, it's like asking, what can an SLP do to treat a Spanish-speaking patient? Mm -hmm. What do you do when your client speaks an entirely different language than you? Find someone to help you that speaks the language that the client speaks. That's ideal. (laughs) That's ideal, but that's not always possible. Not always possible. So what do you do when you're sitting in front of a, a, a patient that does not speak the language you speak, mm-hmm. which means inevitably they do not have the culture you have? What do you do? Do you bulldoze them with how SLPs do the work? Or do you actually recognize you are not qualified mm-hmm. to treat that patient and you need to humble yourself to become a student? And give them whatever service you can, because something is better than nothing. Mm -hmm. But humility is required to do it better than bad. To do it better than bad, you need to have humility to learn. Which means you should, after certain experiences and exposure, at least be able to say, traga. When you have a Spanish-speaking patient, you should at least know how to say swallow, Mm -hmm. which also means you should also know how to sign swallow, which also means you should know how to say vale, which is Haitian Creole, because there's a portion of the population that speaks that language exclusively, and so on and so forth, if you're really good at your job. You don't have to be proficient at everything. 
But how many things are you really exposed to? And so you should be good at most of them if you're really patient-centered. Ashanti, what do you think is concerning about this miseducation when it comes to the deaf and hard of hearing community? And Ashley? My, my big concern is you're, you're pushing an entire community into something that they may not want and it's, it might not be right for them. Um, where I guess the assumption is being made that being an oral speaker is better and treating clients that are part of this community as, as, as if they were hearing it's taking a complete wrong approach, a completely wrong approach to, to trying to help them. Um, I think when we had a brief discussion, um, you had talked about uh, what happens to the brain when it's not exposed to language. Mm. Do you, you recall that, that brief conversation we had? We were both kind of like having aha moments. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, we never thought about that. Language deprivation. Yes, language deprivation. That diagnosis that causes this episode where the elasticity of the link of the brain in the language centers to diminish and so language will never formulate after the age of five um, to the same degree that it would have if it was exposed to some type of language mm -hmm. some type of communication modality prior to so being that that was something that was a brand new, uh, you know, I'll admit that was a brand new concept for me when we were discussing it. That should give you a completely different thought process and approach in dealing and working with a, a person from the deaf or hard and hard of hearing community. But that's not common knowledge. That's not something that, you know, is a, is a, uh, buzzword in our profession right now? I will say being deaf and walking into an establishment is like being black in 1958. <laughs> Everyone is looking at you when you start signing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it really is this like cultural beam of light that has yet to be normalized. Yeah. As much as we have normalized other things are late in the game, deaf and hard of hearing has been part of our society for such a long time. The shame that shrouds it. Mm hmm is phenomenal to me and the reason why it remains in sh you know in shame is because the people that control power continue to persist in the idea that it should be en enshrined in shame mm -hmm. it hasn't shifted its perspective but let me tell you the people in power have changed their mind about a lot of things 
It's the reason why I, as a black-skinned individual, am not currently enslaved. It's because the people in power decided to change their mind. Mm-hmm. They changed their mind for the gay and lesbian community. LGBTQ has had a huge shift in our society because people in power decided to shift. Mm-hmm. Why are they not shifting for the respect of the deaf and hard of hearing? Right. Why are we still in a situation where the deaf and hard of hearing get experiences that are so bad for them? They're challenged in their life and society. People do not easily learn American Sign Language. Well, I think also when you're thinking of when you're when you're a student and they're trying to go over what courses you should take everyone wants to learn a foreign language you know they they put so much uh emphasis on learning a foreign language that they don't consider ASL being a beneficial tool in your in your SLP toolkit in your It's in, a foreign language. It is. It is. It is literally a foreign language. It is. The the grammar structure, everything is different. It's, you know, the assumption that you can hold a conversation with a, a, a deaf person by just signing the words in the order that they occur in spoken English, that is absolutely wrong. That is signed English. That's not American Sign Language. You know, they have a different way, a different structure. Their, their, their prosody is different. It, it's beautiful the way it flows, how expressive it is. And I, I don't think there's enough emphasis on considering it as part of the coursework. Mostly because the consideration of the deaf and hard of hearing are not taken into consideration because they're considered impaired. Mm-hmm. And so to swoop in to help them and protect them, the SLP nullifies their perspective, which is the repeated f- manner for how oppression persists. Mm. Even now, as Black people continue to fight for their level of equality in the system, as women continue to fight for their equality in the system, as the LGBTQ community fight for their equality, as everybody motherfucking fights for their equality in the system, it's an indication that the oppressors don't allow that with ease. Because it requires a shift and about face and adjustment. Mm-hmm. And it causes requires, discomfort. And that requires effort and it requires mm-hmm. you getting uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You have to do that. But if you don't want to be an oppressor, then everybody's opinion has to matter to you, even if you disagree with it. Yeah. So you have to consider that the deaf and hard of hearing community deserves a space where mm-hmm. they get to utilize their language as equal to anyone else's language without it being questioned by speech language pathologists to say, 
No, you must be oral. We Mm -hmm. have to humble ourselves in that fully. We have to submit to the idea that people know what's best for themselves in a way. Mm-hmm. And we have to respect it enough to be individualized scientists that go beyond what we were taught because historically we see that our organization did not cater to diversity very well. It catered to normalization and it hurt a lot of people from the stutterers mm-hmm. to the dyslexic to the hard of hearing. I don't want to see a speech pathologist. Our science has that reputation. And because we have that reputation, we really need to acknowledge that if we continue to operate in that manner, we're persisting in hurting the patients we supposedly want to work so hard to help. So we have to break free of this perspective that the traditions of the SLP are actually good. We have to consider that maybe, no, it's not. Mm -hmm. We haven't been good. We have to admit that. And we need to change quick, fast, and in a motherfucking hurry. (laughs) Do an about face. Just wait a minute. Wait a minute. Go back to that. (laughs) These ladies had the best things to say about their their opportunities to collaborate with other sciences to help further the understanding of the SLP role because it isn't supposed to be a situation where SLPs are teaching American Sign Language. We're actually rehabilitating in American Sign Language. So if there's a language deprivation of a child who has not had communication to rehabilitate or habilitate the language because they never had it, which is actually the true term, habilitation, Mm -hmm. to get them to the point where they're better than what they would have been without the the use of a speech pathologist, that's what they're there for. Or let's say you have had a stroke and you need rehab, but your language was American Sign Language. So I'm going to rehab you in American Sign Language. That kind of thing is where these SLPs are stepping up to say, we're, we're proficient, we're capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. We can be the experts in this area. And I love that. And they're teaching other people within other disciplines that are uh, language uh, ASL proficient to also be good providers. They're like helping in this collaborative mem- membership to say, how can we help this community more? How can we educate? How can we get out their voice a little louder? And so it's just a collective of different sciences and different people across scopes because the deaf and hard of hearing have been very ignored Mm -hmm. in terms of the respects of science in general. There just hasn't been as much, you know, as as much presence in the research and and in, you know, like I said, in the in the buzzworthy topics in the recent years, or ever. I mean, for that matter. There you go, ever, because it's just such a small portion of the population 
that it really gets overlooked. And we just grand sweep it under this rug of normality that we perceive, but they have their own reality in their own subset. And we need Mm -hmm. to respect that culture. No matter how small it is or how big it is, it's a valid member of our society, which means that, yeah, you're going to have to learn a new language. You're going to have to learn it. If you're going to respect it like you do Spanish, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to learn what it means to, you know, be culturally educated. And you're going to have to check all of your assumptions at the door. (laughs) Because, you know, yeah, when you, when you first start learning ASL, um, everyone wants, oh, well, how do you spell my name? How do you, and when you go and introduce yourself to someone, you don't say, hi, Ingrid, my name is (laughs) A-S-H-A-N-T-Y. You don't go up to someone and spell out your name. Now in in the deaf community, you, you know, once you've interacted with them and created, established a, a good rapport, they might give you a name sign and that becomes your name. And so just even in that simple task of being able to introduce yourself and not have to spell your name out, that's, that's a big deal to them. And they'll, you know, they get very intrigued. Well, where'd you get the name sign? Who assigned, you know, who, t- who gave it to you? How'd you get it? Um, so it's it's just you you can't go into it assuming anything, just like assuming that you're going to know the correct grammar structure and syntax for Spanish or Russian or Haitian Creole or Italian or Vietnamese or anything. Just because you speak English. And every- just because you speak English, not everyone's syntax and semantics and, and uh, uh, grammar structure is going to match yours. In so, fact, it, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. <laughs> All of it is very, very different. <laughs> Correct. So you have to step outside of your myopic perspectives, mm-hmm. which is where this is a reflection of so many things that magnify the miseducation of the SLP. Mm-hmm. The magnification of the science requires a really honest look at it. And the look that I keep seeing is like you're historically what you were supposed to be. But at this time, it's no longer relevant. Mm. How are we going to make you adjust? Because you need to. Hard pivot. Exactly. And so it is the responsibility of the members, not of the organization, to make the change they want to see. Because I, I shit you not, there has never been a time in history when the people that have the power decided, oh my God, we're going to make a change. Let's do the humane thing. Like never. It's never an example. So although ASHA, the organization, has done a wonderful job of securing their importance by making our professions rely on paying their dues, <laughs> because a portion of our population as SLPs, I mean like 99% rely on paying their dues for societal respect, mm-hmm. for presence, for ability to practice. Like it's tied intimately. 
um, that portion of our career, they definitely did a good job. They won that round. But what are you going to do now to win your round and to get whatever you can out of this experience to help people and be patient-centered? And that requires a little science, a little study, and a little advocacy to the highest degree to make Mm -hmm. it so that ASHA can't ignore the way they haven't been ignoring recently issues such as race and sexuality Mm -hmm. and all of that. They have been up in it. So we have to respect the fact that when you make noise, ASHA hears. Mm-hmm. What are we going to make noise about next? That's a good question. Should be the fact that I'm giving up my license and my C's and I'm still planning on being a famous SLP. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> You're still going to know her name. <laughs> Honestly, because that degree is what I have for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. No one can strip me of a master's degree in communication sciences and disorders. And that's what I really earned. That's what I paid for. Nothing else. Right. And so I'm going to be what I need to be with the understanding that I don't have those labels attached to me. Mm -hmm. How far can I go without them? We'll see. God knows I'm driven. Oh, yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) anyway guys thank you so much for returning to the episode i know you enjoyed because you keep coming back and that makes me feel good if you want to reach out to us of course we would welcome you if you were to email us at the miseducated slp at gmail.com or if you were to dm us at the miseducated slp on ig and of course the miseducated slp podcast on facebook so you can reach us at any of those locations and of course we would respond excellent yes come come at us comment questions uh if you know of any schools that are doing better with that sort of coursework let us know so we can shout it out oh what a great idea Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, guys, until next time, bye. Have a good one. <laughs>